a taste of Melbourne's diverse poetry scene. Poets using their voices to entertain, to move, to take you on a journey. Connecting you to grassroots poetry and performance. morning and welcome to the 3CR Spoken Word Program. My name is Di Cousins and today I'm speaking to Janine Lane about her new book, Gauri Mara Gathering. Uh, welcome Janine. Thank you Di. And uh, can I just invite you to do an acknowledgement of country please? Yes, thank you. Um, I would like to acknowledge that we are meeting here today and speaking here today on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nations, and I pay my respects to the elders, past, present and forthcoming, for their continued care of these lands, and I'd like to acknowledge my privilege of having lived and worked on these lands for the last eight years. I'd also like to acknowledge the Wiradjuri people at home who are my ancestors from the Murrumbidja River. And I would also like to acknowledge solidarity with all those occupied and stolen nations in the world today. Mandanguru. Thank you. Um, so this is a fabulous book, your new book, Gorimara Dream Gathering. And tell me about your poetry. When did you first discover poetry? Oh, a long time ago. Um, I was raised by three generations of women and that might come out very clearly in Gori Mara and the title, Gathering. It is a gathering of all the things that the women in my life have given me. But to start with, yeah, and I learned to read at home because one of my aunties was a reader. We lived out of town on the remnants of a older dairy farm. So, yeah, I learned to read and write at home. I was a um, compulsive scribbler ever after. And, um, yeah, I lived with a family of storytellers. I went to a, also went to a strange little convent school in uh, Gundagai that used to be called St Stanislaus and it was staffed by Irish nuns who used to come in and out of Australia on a two-year rotational basis and you know when I in 1971 at that primary school an Irish nun with a fierce temper from Donegal did actually say I was born to be a poet and used to get me writing poetry in class and she said that after she asked our class to write um, a scene about the river and I'd spent a lot of time walking around by the river and, and a lot of the creeks and hills around there with my aunties, my grandmother. Um, so yeah, I wrote that poem for my teacher um, and I think I didn't publish any poetry for a long time. That's That comes a lot later and I also acknowledge in this book um, the women who um, were part of that journey from bringing my work off the page a bit more and into, uh, well, it's still on the page, but out of my journals, I suppose. 
Right, into the public domain. Into the world, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's a great great achievement and um, wonderful, wonderful work. So... When you were when you were learning about poetry, or and when we when you were learning to write poetry, were there particular forms that you found inspiring? Um, yeah, I'll speak to that on two levels. At school, I didn't really learned to write poetry because they didn't teach us. I learned to write poetry by just writing myself, and I didn't realize that a lot of what I was writing was poetry until later that I met one of the black many black matriarchs in my life. Um, at school we did a lot of colonial poetry actually and it was really disturbing for me very misrepresentative of my country and my people um, particularly things like Dorothea McKellar's poetry Um, but uh, we also think Banjo Patterson, Henry Lawson completely erased or very deficit in this these kind of pictures so I was probably reacting to a lot of that poetry in my own writing and a lot of those descriptions of country. It was not until, and I studied um, English literature at university as well, because there is something to be gained from understanding a Western canon, I think, but um, it doesn't mean I have to admire it. And it means I can recognise the um, relativity of it and I have to say there are some aspects of it that I do admire. But um, I also, you know, realise, well, this is not universal. It's been presented as it is, but it's very uh, culturally specific. So I guess, and then I was a teacher for a long time in Canberra of literature when I tried to uh, actually get my students to write a bit more freely. But um, I didn't really start writing until, pub- you know, I think I didn't really get the confidence and start to see that what I was writing was poetry until I was working in the tertiary sector in the early 2000s and I met one of the aunties who I wrote about in the book that I'll read a poem for, I think, later, who was a writer and an artist and who um, just started a um, black writers group. Wonderful. Okay, well, let's get to that poem Okay, so this poem is um, Weaving Glass, is that right? It is, it's called Weaving Glass, yeah, and it's for Auntie Jenny Kimar Martiniello. And I just want to say before I start that Weaving Glass is not a metaphor. This is someone who really does weave glass in the way that the women before them would have woven fibres. And this is also a tribute to um, the um, black matriarch who first gave me the um, – it was always my aunties and my grandmother who gave me the courage to, you know, encourage me to write my own thoughts and to save stories, gather stories. But this is the um, auntie who really encouraged me to publish. So Weaving Glass – for Auntie Jenny. Auntie Jenny Kimari Martiniello, Southern Aranta woman, daughter, granddaughter, mother, grandmother, great grandmother, friend, mentor, teacher, poet, artist, whose skin name is passed through grandmother and grandmother's grandmothers, from Hookie's Waterhole on the Unundada track, 
where mulgas blossom yellow and gold against red desert sand, where your father is born to speak three languages till English shackles his tongue. Arnie Janik and Mara Martiniello, whose parents met on Ghana country Adelaide and brought two cultures together, whose father is a mediator for his people, your people, whose mother was a singer and a musician who became the meeting point of two grandmothers who might otherwise have never met, who was taught as a child to listen to the spirit within, to let it grow you into what you will become. And you grew up with painting and stories. Ani Jenny Kamara Martiniello, who spoke the language of colour and texture long before you went to school, who hated the Western classroom of categories and confinement, who learned to make foreign letters talk black stories, who visited museums with her father every Sunday, who was incensed by the dioramas that said her culture and her people were dead, who carried these images in her head, who listened to the ancestors to know what she needed to know, Arnie Jenny Kemara Martiniello, who was brought to Canberra by circumstance, whose four children were born on Ngunnawal, Nambri country, whose parents moved across the desert to mountains to keep family together, whose father knew better than herself, who taught her to listen to spirit again, who studied art and philosophy in Canberra, who listened to the spirits of place that reached out to her own, who made Canberra her home, Aunty Jenny Kimara Martiniello, who knows the ancestors are looking after her, joined a writers group in 1992, carved out a space for black writers in Canberra, who got us all riding with ink back to ochre, who celebrated the stories of a hundred black artists in print, who published Black Lives Rainbow Visions to mark our achievements, who mentored many writers, who encourages us all to listen to the past, to speak to the future. Ani Jenny Kimara Martiniello, who believes there is nothing to be gained by working for yourself, who knows you can only do well when you bring everyone with you, Ask spirits what she needs to do. Move seamlessly into the space of visual arts. Founded Kemara Arts Women's Cooperative for urban-based artists. Knows culture lives just as much on concrete as it does on red dirt. Thinks in three dimensions as past is present is future is always. Auntie Jenny Kemara Martiniello, whose memory banks are deep and rich, who holds her stories and histories that no page can contain or restrain, who is keeper of family genealogies of place, who can name her children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren in skin, who continues the cultural tradition of extended families, who knows that despite invasion, oppression, dispossession and connection to country is unbroken. Ani Jani Martiniello, who takes sand from the desert, melts it into liquid to form solid, brittle glass, 
bends it like reeds through her fingers, weaves strength and fragility combined against the weft and warp of time, melds the language of glass with traditional woven objects, loops, coils and stretches coloured glass into dilly bags, baskets and eel traps, blends old ways with new mediums to say, we are still here. Ani Jenny Kimara Martiniello, Southern Oriental woman, granddaughter, daughter, mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, friend, mentor, teacher, poet, artist, born on Ghana country, living on nominal Nambri lands, who grew, grows seeds planted by grandmothers' grandmothers into the future, who can speak unspoken words to give us strength, whose hands are a meeting place of what has been and what will come, whose words work and spirits say always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Fabulous work. Thank you for reading that. It's so inspiring. Um, could I just also say that people should check out uh, Arnie Jenny's Woven Glass that I just mentioned in that poem. Absolutely. How do they do that? Well, they can just go on the website and Google her name, as in this um, poem. So, uh, is it Jenny Kamari Martiniello? It is, yes. Okay. And Martiniello is spelled M-A-R-T-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. So, yes, I look forward to seeing her work. Yeah. Yeah. So, she helped you to start writing? She, uh, a lot of us, yeah, through... Um, I think she joined a writer's group herself initially and as I mentioned in that poem and then you sort of realise, and I did that too in the Nanas, just a a suburban writer's group, which, you know, it could be a good thing in in some ways because it's local, but I think the uh, white women just didn't get the cultural or appreciate some of the um, speak back or positionality of my writing. So I was a bit discouraged by that didn't write in public that was in the 90s so yeah and I think that she was the one who saw a need for yeah um First Nations writers and writers from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds probably need the support of our own in some sort of writers or artists group yeah and when I read that poem and another poem um later on in the book I had the feeling that maybe this has some elements of a traditional form in terms of telling the history in in repeating the name of the person yep. and then the incidents from her life and uh, kind of using epithets in a way, you know, the one who, yeah, yeah things like that. Do you, is, do you feel it's related to any traditional forms? Like a lot of people born in my generation, I was born in the early 60s in rural New South Wales, so... A lot of, uh, you know, traditional things had been, um, we never say things that, you know, gone or completely dead, but a lot of, con- you know, traditional things had been forbidden or people weren't doing them. But many of us, like myself, and that's like language, like some of the weavings, the beautiful weavings, the huntings, um, although a lot of the women still did a bit of gathering and hence the title of my book, it's about all the things that women gather physically and metaphorically. Um, 
Well, um, in my family, it was very important to acknowledge the elders, like, you know, the community elders and the elders in creation stories, but also our own family and you know, personal elders who've been our um, mentors. And my aunties used to talk like that a lot. A lot of Aboriginal people talk like that. They do continue to sort of really ground the person and in that we are grounded, like we like, you know, we, I always think, you know, grounded in story and that's a story poem and, you know, Descartes might have said, I think, therefore I am. And I think for me it's like I am storied, therefore I am. So, um Wonderful. Yeah, so it is, but it also, because of the way that that poem and that particular person and then many of the other women I attributed in this bring together these two forms in a way that I think settler writers and artists can't do because we can do that what, now. What's the two forms, sorry? Well, we bring together these Western forms, like right. writing, the whole sure. idea of, if you know, putting things like this on a page and overcoming the containment of the page and before that we would have told our stories through weaving through these objects through dance or song or you know um and through memories yeah and through memory that's right yeah so these um do carry down from and this is part of a memory that even though there were you know generations of people like I know in my family who weren't allowed to do the language or but it still carries memory in the blood, blood in the memory. Well it just carries down and you you know yeah. I think these memories don't leave you. It's wonderful to see this memory on the page. Now there's another wonderful poem here. They said I could be a feminist and I really love this poem. Um do you want to tell me a little bit about how it came about? Yeah. Thank you. Um, I like this poem too, and this was one of these poems that is a is a lifetime of thought. But it, when I sat down to write it on a particular day, it really flowed off the pen very much from my heart very quickly. Um, but it is, you know, I was young in the seventies. I saw that rise of what they called the second wave feminism. I was here in Australia. Okay, I can appreciate the aims of that movement in its own cultural realm. But, you know, the way it came about to be pushed so as to be so universal and it's really... Uh, we talked about with the women at home, we're like, this is not what we all want. Yeah, it's very culturally specific. It's very... It comes with a lot of assumptions. So, and yeah, 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 and also because of a... I mean, this is a story I'm going to write in another work that I have in mind, but uh, it's a prose piece and I studied women's studies for a while when it was called women's studies in the, um, 1990 before I became gender studies. And I think it was, there were three of us. One was a woman of colour, one was an elderly white woman, a survivor of domestic violence as me, I'm black, First Nations, Australian. I think we were all gone within eight weeks because of the way it patronised and insulted our history and positionality. Yep. It's also based on some actually real-life experiences I've had, and this is a non-fiction poem. Thank you. They said I could be a feminist. In the 80s, they said I could be a feminist. 
if I didn't talk about blackness because that fragments the movement. And they said I could join in if I believed in the oppression of all women. They said solidarity would protect me, but I still got asked why. I walked out at night in that part of town, which is where I live. They didn't want to hear the history of rape, the history of rejection, of who I am, the history of terrorised incarceration of myself, or that I am the history of battery and assault and invading armies against whatever I want to do with my mind and my body and my soul, and whether it's walking out at night alone, if I need to be by myself, thinking about life or thinking about children or thinking about the world disclosed by the stars and the silence, I know I could not walk out. I am the wrong skin, the wrong sex, the wrong age, the wrong nose, the wrong hair, the wrong need, the wrong dream, the wrong demographic in the wrong place. I am the problem everyone seeks to solve. 20 years later, a middle-class white counsellor says, Stuff happens. I'm here to help you deal with it. And I say, yeah, stuff happens like magic and shit, like assault, like rape, like racism, all in unequal proportions. She says, why are you so angry? They said I could be a feminist and that they'd meet me at the intersection, but the centre keeps moving. Do I bleed the woman from my blackness? Or do I drain the blackness from my womanliness? What do I sell at this crossroads? My soul, my skin, my sex. Unbroken white lines stretch beyond me. Yeah, great poem. And, you know, the uh, you, we were talking earlier and you mentioned that, you know, for Indigenous women in Australia, the the big need was to keep your children, not to yes, get not to not get rid of them. That's right. We had women fighting to keep our children, and we also, you know, talk about getting out of the kitchen, and that can be valid, you know, that can be valid, but you know, it's not what everyone wants. And in a, I, I'm just going to do an excerpt of this because. I wrote another poem to my sister, who's my peer, and we're the ones born in 1961, Sister Carl's Tracy, and uh, I just read you this stanza because it relates to that poem. Born in the spring of 1961, the year of the ox like me, your Wiradjuri sister. They sent a white man into space in 1961, sis, and on earth... Their white sisters, wives and girlfriends were hailing the contraceptive pill as a revolution. On the Gunnamal, Nambri and Wiradjuri country, like all other black countries under the stolen nation, our black mothers were trying to keep their children like you and me, sis. And during the feminist revolution that splattered across our black and white TVs, all through our childhood, sis, 
White women try to get out of the kitchen and burn their bras, and our mothers lived in tents and tin sheds and cooked for us on open fires without complaining about the heat, couldn't afford underwear to burn so they could feed us. Thank you. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> it's um, it's a problem when people don't realise where they're coming from. Um, is do you feel that there is a way that in you know people who want to be supportive to the indigenous community? And I'd like to recognise I'm not indigenous. What how how can we be supportive in a genuinely helpful way? Yeah, I think that's a good question, and I think that I would also like to acknowledge, <clears throat> very much so actually, that um, the allies and the supporters that I've had in my life who are not First Nations are Indigenous, you know, in that way. And I'd like to acknowledge my father, that's where I take the name from, who was descended from an Irish family. Um, but I would also like to acknowledge my um, partner of many years as well and soulmate and best friend and I'd like to acknowledge a more broader community too of people who listen so you ask what can you do and people often ask what you can do and I think with all the good intentions in the world sometimes even that makes you feel a bit like you're in deficit but I know the question is well intended. So the first thing people can do is listen without interrupting because there is a whole other what I call positionality. And I used to take, talk about this in class, like what are your intersections, your culture, your race, your age, your um, social class, you know, that, that's how you're positioned and those things really influence your values. So to listen... And also to an, um, a wonderful First Nations Palaku writer called Amberlyn Quamalina, who writes um, First Nations speculative fiction, is also a law scholar and a poet and wrote a great work called Living on Stolen Land, said any good advocate makes themselves redundant. So, And that is my experience with, with our supporters, that people who... Um, who really want to, uh, you know, advocate and support First Nations people don't speak for us but make the space for us to speak. So listening. And in practical terms, you know, people say, what can they do? And sometimes I think they're expecting the answer to be too big and they're going to be off the hook. So, but no, the answer is not too big. What can you do in a practical sense? You can listen to First Nations people talking our story. You can read our books because national history fails us. So you can read our books, but you can also listen to us where we are in First Nations media and in our um, listen and learn and bring some of that. Okay. Now, I think we're going to make this um, the first of two programs and uh, we'll just move to a very short poem so as to finish this first program. So would you like to read the poem Hostages? Yes, this is a short poem that reflects on the nation and it's in the section of my book called Nation. Hostages, the kidnapped memories of Aboriginal people are hostages beneath this settler mythscape. Hear us now. Release our words. 
set us free. Great. Mandanguru, thank you. Thank you so much. Sorry, I interrupted the word. What did you say? So Mandanguru, which means thank you in Wiradjuri. Thank you. Okay, so I've been talking to Janine Lane about Gautamara Gathering, her new book. And uh, my name is Di Cousins, and this has been the 3CR Spoken Word Programme.